I want to invite everyone to turn to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, if you have a Bible, brought a Bible, join me there in Acts chapter 8, or swipe there on your phone. We're going to round out our season and our series in the book of Acts. Acts is the story of how the good news of Jesus goes to everyone, everywhere. And in this particular section, the gospel is going to people that is surprising to those in the early church. Last week, we looked at how it went to Samaria and a place where nobody really wanted to go. And then it even went to a magician, a person that nobody really thought would get in on this good news. And today we're going to see another surprising person that is reached by the good news of God. But kids, here's why I want to talk to you first as we're joined in Acts chapter 8. Because this is a story of a very special baptism. Have y'all heard that word baptism? Raise your hand if you've heard the word baptism. Every baptism is special, but this one is really special because of who gets baptized. That's going to be the focus of my story when I shift gears and talk more to the grown-ups. But I want to talk about baptism, and the way I want to talk about it is by imagining and thinking about our birthdays. Ooh, do you know what your birthday is, Sydney? What day is your birthday? May 2nd. Yeah? Lucy, when's your birthday? February 6th. Isaac is in October. Emma and Nora are March babies. Clark and Zach, when are y'all's birthdays? January 9th. January 9th? Yes. Awesome. Now, let me ask y'all this question, kiddos. Do you remember your first birthday party. I ate a cupcake. You ate a cupcake? You remember because you probably saw those pictures. And people pinched your cheeks and we celebrated. Why? Because you were born and you're you and you're special and we're celebrating your birth. But here's the deal, kiddos. Was your birthday celebrated as a party on the first day you were born? No. When was it? It was like a year later, your first birthday, right? So let me ask you this question. Would we even have a party, whether you're one year old or eight years old or 80 years old, would we even have a party if you were never born? No, there wouldn't be you to celebrate your special little life and your special little self. So you have to be born, you have to be birthed to have what? A birthday party. Okay, here's why I am thinking about baptism and birthdays. Y'all ready? Write this down on your little notes if you got it, or remind your parents to check this out with you. In the book of John, chapter 3, Jesus is having a conversation with a grown-up named Nicodemus. Can y'all say Nicodemus? Nicodemus. He was having a conversation with Nicodemus, and Jesus talked about how every person ought to be born again, but into God's kingdom. And this was really confusing to Nicodemus because he was like, man, how am I going to get born again? I'm like 50 years old, been there, done that. And then in John, we read in John chapter 3 
that God so loved the world that whoever believes in the Son of God will not die forever, but live forever. And the way that you live forever is to believe, and that belief, Jesus says, is like being born into new life with God's kingdom. So you're born once baby as a physical person, but he says, when you believe in me, the Son of God, you get born into God's kingdom, into God's life. This new life is a life given to Jesus and lived for Jesus, and here's how you do it. Y'all with me? Someday you might feel this move, this uh, tug that says, you know what? I kind of feel like I need to say, Jesus, you are Lord, and I want to give my life to you. I want to live for you. I want to follow you. I believe you're Lord, and I want to give you my life. Someday you might be able to say that. Someday you might want to say that. Whenever that time is, we want to honor that and celebrate it. But here's the deal. When you say that, it's like you're born into God's life. And what happens when people are born, they're birthed, eventually we want to celebrate a birthday party, right? So baptism is like the birthday party for when people are born into God's new life. By saying, Jesus, I want to live for you. I want to give my life for you. They're born into the kingdom of God. And then baptism is when we all gather around and instead of pinching your cheeks and throwing cake in your face, we put you into the water and raise you up to say, you're born into a new way of life. You're forgiven, you're restored, and you can live your whole life with God. God has said yes to you, and he's waiting for us to say yes back. Someday you might want to say, Jesus, your Lord, and I give you my life. And when that time comes, or if that time comes, you can talk to your parents, you can talk to me, and then we'll celebrate with a birthday party known as baptism. You with me? But if you got to have a birthday party, first, you got to be born, right? right? First, we say yes to Jesus, and then we celebrate. That's what baptism is, and that's what we're going to see together in Acts chapter 8. So, can we pray, and then let's read the rest of our story. Awesome. God, we are so grateful that you loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus to come and live among us to show us how we can be born into new life with you. God, we believe that you have said yes to us. You have thrown open your arms of love so that we might be able to say yes to you, to give our lives to you. And so, Lord, I pray right now that these children would be nurtured and cared for and discipled before they ever become disciples officially, to know that they are loved, that they are special, that they are worth celebrating, and that you love them and long for life with them. So until that yes comes, we just ask your blessing upon them, now and each day of their life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, that's my baptism and birthday illustration, and we're going to see that in real time in Acts chapter 8. And every baptism is special, but this baptism is super special because of who gets baptized. Would you join me in Acts chapter 8, 
we are going to be talking about a person that no one would have ever dreamed of going to this early in the story of the good news going to everyone everywhere. But it happened because God wanted it to happen. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, or maybe yours says Candace, which means queen of the Ethiopians. Now this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, like to a festival, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Now the spirit told Philip, hey, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. This is in Isaiah chapter 53. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from him and the earth. So the eunuch asked Philip, So tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? This is when you all say, Ah, this is the fastball right down the middle to a guy like Philip who has been rocking and rolling and sharing the gospel. He's like, Yo, this is like about to be a home run. We continue on. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. All right. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? Now, some of you real quick, y'all might have a number 37 in brackets in the most... Um, trusted in, in oldest manuscripts, there is not this verse, but in some, there is this verse, and it's a verse that essentially says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, we think that whether it's in here or not, certainly that would have happened in their actual conversation. Whether or not it made it into Luke's story really is secondary. Because if this man is going to get baptized, it's because he said yes and was born sometime before he celebrates that birthday party. You with me on that? So let's continue on in verse 38. Then he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of God suddenly took Philip away. That's crazy. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, continuing to preach the gospel in all towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say thanks be to God. I love, I love, I love, I love this story. 
so much so that I preached it a couple years ago, and one of the big ideas on your worship guide is going to make another appearance because I just love this story. But as we get into it, if we had a dollar for every time that you heard in the news, on the radio, in your conversations, on social media, this phrase, we are more divided now as a nation than we ever have been. You could buy me, your pastor, Chipotle for a year. If you had a dollar for every time you heard, we are more divided now than we ever have been. And here's the deal. There are statistics coming out this year that bears that out. It's not just your eyeball test, it's true. In August, the Pew Research Center said that nearly 80% of Americans say they have just a few or no friends at all on the other side of the political spectrum. 80% say I have very few or none at all if they belong to that party. Or me over here in this party, I have just a few or none at all friends on that political party. Maybe here's why. Same study said that 80% of Democrats believe the Republican Party has been taken over by racists. So if you believe this narrative, you're probably not going to want a lot of friends on that other side. Whether or not it's true, that's the narrative they're walking under. And then on the other side, 80% of Republicans, same number, believe that the Democratic Party has been taken over by socialists. Here's the deal. We've seen this division, we've heard about this division, and what's crazy is when you have fewer face-to-face -face conversations and you have more and more social media interactions, what you have then with these narratives mixed in is a country where these differences are no longer just differences to be dialogued or listened to or discussed. They become differences that threaten to destroy our country or something that drastic or at the very least, to destroy our Thanksgiving dinners with Uncle So-and-So or Aunt Whoosie-Whats. Now, there's got to be a better way. Couldn't there be a time when two people from different ends of the spectrum, different ends of the earth, different cultural, social, religious backgrounds, couldn't we imagine sitting down and seeing them instead of labeling them? Couldn't we see perhaps walking alongside them instead of just cutting them out? I think so. It's what God's people have been called to do and sometimes failed to do, but that doesn't change the fact that the good news of Jesus is on the move to everyone, everywhere, even if it's people you don't want to talk to and even if it's where you don't want to go, that's why the Holy Spirit sometimes gets us moving even when we don't feel like it. Why? Here's why. Because God's divine desire, this is in your handout, builds bridges between different people. But we have got to be willing to walk across. Do you see this? Do you believe that God is at work in our world, in our neighborhood, even with them. 
And maybe only you can fill in the blank as to who the them is. But are you willing to believe that God's divine desire is building, even now, bridges between you and them? But the difference is, are we going to be willing to walk across them? The who of our story matters because at the moment, it's a bridge built between Philip and an Ethiopian eunuch who are very different. They're different nationally. Ethiopia was a way of saying basically the ends of the known earth at that time. It was exotic. It was less traveled by people that lived where Philip lived. And so they had this national difference that also equated to an ethnic difference. This man is from Ethiopia. This is a black man. It's got to be. I mean, they're, they're, they're probably calling him an Ethiopian because that also connotes the fact that his skin looks different than Philip. Philip's skin looks different from the Ethiopian eunuchs. You have an ethnic, racial difference. There's a cultural difference because where you live has different customs, has different ideas, has different social structures. There's a cultural difference. There is also a sexual difference, and I mean that in the terms of male and female, and how this eunuch is somewhere in between. Because what happened to him to make him a eunuch was common if you served the royal court because it was sort of an insurance policy. And I'll let the grown-ups put two and two together. There is a difference happening here. And notice that the Ethiopian eunuch was traveling on what? On foot? On what? A chariot. And he was also reading a scroll of the Hebrew prophet Isaiah. You could not just hop on Amazon and grab you a Kindle. This meant that he who worked as a high-ranking official in a royal court was traveling in style and reading in style because books were very rare. And so we have all of these differences at work here. But here's the deal. The eunuch is closer than Philip could have ever imagined. The eunuch is knocking on God's door because here he lives at the edge of the earth, but he had heard about Israel's God. He had been intrigued by Israel's God. He had been intrigued by the way that God has taught these people to live. He came by one of their prophets, one of their scrolls, and he even showed up to one of their worship gatherings. This guy didn't just drive 15 minutes from South Garland or 20 from Wiley or wherever, this dude made a pilgrimage to see Israel's God. But here's what you must know. In Israel's founding documents in Deuteronomy, a person that was a eunuch was never going to have the same kind of access to be a real official Jewish man like Philip or Peter or John. But there was something about the eunuch knocking at God's door. And here's the bigger picture. God's divine desire chases down the eunuch who is also chasing God. I got to wonder if Luke, who wrote the story, Philip, who is sensing the call of the Spirit to go and find this guy, I wonder if these people are saying, what? God is trying to get a bridge to him? The answer, of course, is yes. And Philip is the one 
who is invited to walk across the divide. So here's my second big idea there. The Holy Spirit invites us to invite others into the family of God. This is basic 101, great commission. Go make disciples. You found life. You found forgiveness. You found purpose. You found meaning. You found freedom in the embrace of God. Go tell somebody. Now, I just got to wonder, when I say a phrase like the Holy Spirit is inviting us to invite others, you might say, Adam, a lot of what you've been preaching is talking about responding to the Spirit, listening to the Spirit, being open to God, listening to Jesus. And some of you are too polite to say, dude, what are you even talking about? And here's the deal. It's hard to explain, but I think you know more than you think you know. So in your guide there, I wanted to pause here because we see some dramatic interactions between an angel of the Lord saying, go down to this road, and then he goes to this road. This is like nowheresville. And then he senses the spirit saying, go walk alongside this caravan, this chariot. There's something there that is prompting him, leading him. And so I've included in our gathering, let's just have some real brass tacks. How do you think you might know? And the trick, I think, is to practice and to sense and to feel your gut, your nudge, your conscience. I believe that the interactive relationship with God is not just for then. It is the birthright of all of us who've been born into God's kingdom and received the Holy Spirit. So here's the first thing I would say is a pretty decent litmus test to, as to whether or not the Holy Spirit is nudging you, nodding you to give, to serve, to love, to do this or that in this precise moment. Y'all see there? You might have to grab your phone flashlight. The question is, is this about me and my needs or are the arrows pointing out to others in love, charity, and service? This week I talked to a friend of mine and a pastor who has been instilling in his preteen boys how we are a family whose arrows are pointed out. And I loved that um, idea, especially because he was telling me, I think I'm going to get it tattooed. So I really loved it. This idea of these arrows pointing outward to others because he's instilling in his children that a life lived in service of others is a life well lived. There is so much need and pain and brokenness. So could we raise up children and families that have arrows always pointing out to meet needs, to bless others? And here's a litmus test. Is this service, this love, this charity, is it about me gramming it? TikToking it, bragging about it at lunch, or are my arrows pointed out and I sense God is leading me because it will bless others and not just me because God and his love is other oriented and the step you take toward God will always lead to a step toward neighbor. So if the arrows are pointed outward, you can probably have a good sense that this is a spirit led moment. Second, does it look like, sound like, feel like Jesus? I love how people say, you know, we got to speak the truth in love. We got to speak the truth in love. So I just got to tell you, truly, you ugly and dumb. 
It's in love, though. It's in love. Y'all would never talk like that, right? Oh, man, I've been guilty of it. I'm just speaking the truth in love. That is not a free pass to be a mean person. Because Jesus himself, as we see in John 1, was full of grace and truth. So I think the litmus test here is to say, okay, even if it's difficult and uncomfortable and there's some truth bombs mixed into it, does it look like Jesus? Does it sound like Jesus? Because the how matters. Does it feel like this is something Jesus would be about? Because not every post and interaction, not every thing you want to do or say might pass that test. Now, let me pause here before I get into number three and tell you a story, before I tell you a third offering as to how we might discern if this is the leading and prompting of the Spirit. Now, before COVID, when I'm running around town, a lot of times in between meetings, I would be in this area and I would slip into the Good Shepherd Catholic Church right here a couple blocks from where I'm standing. And it's a gorgeous modern space that I could just sit and collect myself, catch my thoughts, and just have some peace and quiet before I ran on to the next thing. And so one time I had this huge place all to myself. And I was looking at the crucifix there at the altar, and I'm praying a prayer that is in our daily prayer that I did a podcast of. We helped learn from Brian Zond. And the prayer is called the prayer to the crucified Christ. And it goes like this. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love upon the hard wood of the cross so that all might come within the reach of your saving embrace. Then it says this. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you. For the honor of your name, amen. And if I'm lying, I'm dying. As soon as I said amen, I heard sobbing from the back of the sanctuary. Probably 50 feet away from me. Had not heard one thing until I heard sobbing. And I'm literally praying a prayer that said, Clothe us in your spirit so that we might reach forth our hands in love to those who do not know you to come to the knowledge and love of you. And I'm sitting there praying this prayer, hearing this sobbing, and I say, oh gosh, are you serious? Is this like an answer to this prayer right now, in this exact moment? And I'm like, man, I'm a, I'm a pastor, like this is my whole bag, like I'm a Christian, like this is it. I mean, am I going to really do what I pray? Because I feel like I need to go approach this person who's desperate, as if I could help. And so Amy's shaking her head because she knows where this story's going. And I walk over to this person who is sobbing, weeping. And I approach her very cautiously. She's got her head in her hands and she's just desperate. And I say, ma'am. And she goes, <laughs> she snaps up. And I said, I'm sorry to disturb you. I said, could I pray for you or would you like to talk? She looks, and then I said, okay, maybe I should try in Spanish. And so I tried in Spanish, and that probably made it much worse. <laughs> and she's staring at me, and we pause for 15, 10 seconds. 
And then I just do this. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay, sorry, sorry. And I back out of the sanctuary, I back into the parking lot, and I said, I'm not sure that's what you meant, Lord. I'm sorry. Which leads me to my third point. Can I trust that there will be more life and love in the outcome, regardless of my own perception of how this goes? And when I got into that parking lot, I thought maybe, just maybe, that was a moment between her and God. But here's what I'll do. As I'm leaving and backing out awkwardly, I'm going to pray for this person because she's obviously in a difficult and desperate situation that I know nothing of, but God, you do. So even though it didn't go how I thought it went, so I could come to you and tell you about this one time I was a good shepherd. No, it was more like, yeah, this one time a good shepherd. But I can trust God for the outcomes. And even if it was me trying out a little bit of obedience and me trying out a little prayer, our job is openness and obedience. It's God's job that we trust him for the outcomes. Philip had no idea how this was going to go, but he was open and he was obedient. And he came to this desert road and he came alongside a chariot and he hears this person reading his scripture. A person that doesn't look like him, doesn't sound like him. And all of a sudden, he's like, whoa, maybe this is what God is up to. So here is our third big idea. And I love, 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 love this. If you're a kind of person that writes in your Bible or makes notes, you might want to pull up this passage and count the questions. Because Philip discerns, then listens, then asks and listens again before he ever preaches. Before he ever speaks, he discerns the will of God in this, go catch him, go get there. Then he listens to this neighbor that he's encountering. Then he asks him a question. Then he listens to his answer. Imagine that. Have you ever been with somebody that you, you, uh, they ask you a question and immediately you know they're not listening to you. They're just waiting for the next thing to say because that was just the, the foot in the door to tell you what they really want to tell you. How many Christians follow Philip's lead of discerning God's will, not mine, listening to this other person, not me, asking their perspective, what's up with them, what's going on with their life, and then to actually listen and pay attention before you ever open your mouth. James, we did a series in the New Testament epistle, says, be slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to listen. Friends, I got to tell you that in my little bullet journal binder to-do list, all of this, if you saw how many times I just wrote throughout my days, my weeks, listen more, listen well, speak less, speak second. You'd wonder why I'm not doing it when I talk to all you. <laughs> is what it is. But I think this, Amy, just snorted because she's my wife that I talk to the most. But what would it look like in your relationships this week if you committed to show genuine, uncommon, and unexpected curiosity? There's an old philosopher that said, attention is the rarest and purest form of flattery. 
as we said at the beginning of the pandemic with those in your household, you know, your attention is your time and your time is your life. So who you are attentive to and curious of could transform your relationships. Would you listen and ask and be genuinely, unexpectedly, uncommonly curious? Start with the closest people in your circle and see how it goes this week. And let that be practice for when you meet an Ethiopian eunuch, someone from a different place, class, background, ethnicity. Start by listening. Maria, you talk about be the bridge. We heard from this woman in a webinar. She's been reading the book. And she was talking about how if you want to enter into some of these spaces of racial reconciliation, you've got to listen and not post and talk for a long time. They put on your Facebook group, what is it, like three months, two months? You listen before you speak. You hear stories before you jump to conclusions. How would that transform not only our families, but our nation? How would it change the Pew Research Group's findings? But everything pivots on the eunuch's third question. If you're writing and counting, it was his third question. Who is Isaiah talking about? What do you think? Is he talking about himself, or who is he talking about? As Christians, we say he's talking about Jesus. Isaiah 53 is part of what's called the servant songs. Isaiah has this sense, this inkling from the Spirit of God that someone is going to be for Israel what Israel was always supposed to be. Someone was going to be the true servant Israelite to take on the pain and brokenness of the world, to bear it in himself so that he might throw open the door to the whole world and the answer of who is Isaiah talking about is Jesus. And you know what Philip did? He went from that point and told him the whole story of Jesus. Because friends, at some point, you have got to talk about Jesus in your life. If you talk about what you saw on Pinterest and you talked about your bowling league, if it matters to you, why are we talking about Jesus more? I'll tell you because it's kind of awkward. That's why I love that um, when Jason and I did the kingdom presence talk and we were talking about how can we make talking about Jesus less awkward in this time and place. And one of the key things we learned was from our friend um, that we don't know, but he's a friend, Bruxy Cavey. <laughs> and he said, here are some on-ramps in your everyday conversation. Here's something I heard this week at church. Here's something I learned this week and we talked about in our small group. Here's something I read. Here's something that's interesting. How about this? This reminds me of a story of Jesus. This reminds me of something Jesus did. Can I pray for you? I know that might seem weird, but I believe that God is with you. God loves you. What are some on-ramps? At some point, the gospel must not be demonstrated. It must also be declared. Because to be born into God's life is to at some point say, yes, Jesus, you're Lord, and I give my life to you. That's the ultimate thing that gets the eunuch across the threshold and into the family of God. God was chasing him. He was chasing God. God wanted him. He just needed Jesus to come and close the deal. And I wonder about this. 
If he had the scroll of Isaiah 53, would you look up and mark down and read tonight before you go to bed? Isaiah 56, verses 1 to 8. The verses are listed in your handout, but they're not printed there. But Isaiah continues on in his scroll by saying, There is coming a day, God says, Don't let the eunuch and the foreigner say the doors are closed to the temple. Oh my goodness, did you just hear that? Where Deuteronomy says no eunuch can be a part of the assembly. Isaiah says one day God is saying let no foreigner, let no eunuch, let no one cast out say there's no space at the temple or table for me. Why? Because there is someone coming that is where the story was headed all along and he is inviting everyone in regardless of what they look like, sound like. If they are chasing God, know that God is chasing them. And God has said yes in Christ. He's reconciled the world to himself. He's waiting for every single human being on this planet to return the favor and come back to their heart's true home. Whether you're a eunuch or otherwise, the table is ready and waiting if you would come. This is the good news of Jesus. This is why we keep singing what we're singing and preaching what we're preaching because the story was always headed. God's divine desire was always headed to build a bridge to every single person on this earth. Eight billion and counting. God's divine desire is building bridges. The question is, are we willing to walk across them? Or is that person to this or to that? that we won't even touch it with a 10-foot pole. The Holy Spirit is inviting us to invite others. He's leading us in His love to love others. And the first non-Jew to come to faith in Jesus and be baptized is a black African sexual minority Luke is telling us the good news really is meant for everyone everywhere. Because God's divine desire is building bridges. May we be people who are willing to walk. Amen? Amen.